The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Powell. If you look at the digital landscape, there's been a lot of innovation. Netflix has changed the way we watch things, we're in a golden age of television, movies keep getting bigger and bigger, musicians have a direct relationship with fans through the internet, and books? Well, books have moved to the digital age in pretty much the same way they've always been. Words on a page, except these days, an electronic one. It's an odd thing that something so loved, books, hadn't taken advantage of the possibilities of the internet to become more interactive, engrossing, or amazing. Well, One company in Aotearoa saw this opportunity and have built a company that makes exciting digital experiential books and who have a focus on using modern methods to give traditional languages new avenues to grow and connect today. They've published wonderful app-based titles like Narimu that brings a graphic novel to life with sound and music and texture, revitalised classics like the Harry McCleary books and have just announced a partnership to create a hub in Australia to help bring new appreciation to endangered local languages. To talk about the mission, the work around the world and fostering te reo through new tech, CEO Stephen Renata joins me now. Kia ora, thank you for being along on the show. Atamari. Hey, so tell me about your background. So you're CEO at uh, Kiwa, the company behind this, um, but you um, had a big role in Les Mills International across 20 years of its growth from being a very small company to a very large one. Yeah, like uh, it's uh, one of the great uh, Kiwi stories um, from smallness to greatness. Um, and, uh, you know, the overnight 20 year success, um, it was great to be part of that, that walker, um, taking fitness to the world, helping people fall in love with fitness, particularly group fitness, uh, with some incredible choreography um, intermingled into that with some awesome music. And then, of course, just fantastic people all over the globe delivering these classes. and what we used to say, life-changing life fitness experiences everywhere, every time. It's not as well known here as perhaps it should be just how big a force it is in international fitness, is it? Because people look at Les Mills as being the gyms, but the gyms are a, a separate company to Les Mills International even. And Les Mills International, more than 100 million people a week are taking the classes around the world. Yeah, I mean, the, the numbers are quite staggering and growing quickly. Um, beyond the gym, actually, um, in the more recent years, um, people are experiencing Les Mills Fitness in, in a digital form um, in remote locations like their homes and so forth. Um, but to give a little bit of credit to home base, because that's where it all came from, there's, there's 50 years of Les Mills in this country. 
uh, with some of the best fitness centres and teams throughout the country. And that was really, um, I guess, the, the nest, the, the incubator, if you like, that grew the programs. And uh, if anybody's fortunate enough to wander in or even better still join up at Les Mills, Auckland Central City, you'll get to see the biggest fitness classes in the world and that's where a lot of the classes are tested and trialled before they go live. So we make sure it's kind of all home-baked with that good uh, Kiwi ingenuity and quality assurance and then it goes offshore um, and delivered perfectly. And it's kind of there's some kind of downstream things that are uh, little known as well. My favourite one is that perhaps Les Mills International are one of the biggest employers of musicians in the country because they're making all of the sound-alike um, and making the mixes between the big licensed international tracks of the day. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes back to what creates the experience and um, the, the team at Les Mills have known for years that music's an integral part of motivation. Um, there's plenty of equipment out there, there's plenty of places that you could go and exercise, but the research shows really clearly that one thing that holds people back is motivation. And so music is, is a great driver, of motivation, it distracts you from the pain and the boredom mm-hmm. of some exercise activities, um, and and it really is a is a key part in, in keeping people engaged and be able to get through you know significant duration or um, repetitions of exercise in, in a relatively um, what shall we say amicable way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that kind of like um, experiential being lost in the moment kind of thing is quite an interesting link to the work that. You now do at Kiwa as well by take, taking these moments and and making them more than the sum of their parts. There's a lot to be said for a good dance party. Yeah. <laughs> and you're a, you're a big role in um, international sales there, and that that's a really um, cool thing in taking kind of local IP and extending it out to the world um, by selling it through the states and the like. And yeah, the the number of people around the world, um, it must have been such an exciting journey to be um, a part of taking that um, internationally uh, to get up to those numbers. It was, um, and even now when I reflect back, you know, having been out of the organisation for nearly five years, uh, it's almost like, did that really happen? You know, you sort of got to sort of pinch yourself and go, wow. It was like being in a rock band, going around the world, um, selling fitness at the time. Body Pump was the big programme, the barbell class, which is really what put the company on the map. And um, to be sharing that with instructors, with consumers, with club owners and who were literally falling in love with it, you know, on site. I know it sounds a bit corny, but people would experience, you know, f- up to 55 minutes of their first body pump class and it was like they were addicted mm. to this new thing. And I think it really came back to just that great combination of putting together great exercise movement that is results orientated, weaving in the appropriate type of music choreographing that rhythmically um, and then having the right type of instruction that was both um, telling you what to do and where to be from a body movement perspective but then motivational so it was that whole kind of experience wrapped up together that just um, I think for a lot of people was mesmerizing and such a positive culture as well like such a positive inclusive culture well, I mean, you feel good after 800 reps of activity. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's got, and, and, and so five years ago, after having been part of that big journey, what brought you to, um, to Kiwa and what was it about the mission at Kiwa that was exciting to you? Uh, I guess it was time in life. Um, I'd been on Les Mills Walker for you know, m- most of my adult life. I'd been offshore for a lot of that time. Um, came back to New Zealand for family reasons and um, 
I, I kind of felt like it was time to get in my own walker. And so I decided it was time to, to move on from that. And through actually a previous employee, a person who had been my CEO, Jill Tattersall, she had also moved on from, from Les Mills. And uh, we caught up and I said, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. You know, when you've been doing something for 20 years, what you're going to do next is not always that obvious. And coming from, say, the USA where I'd been, back to New Zealand, massive market, back to small market. There was a lot of things to consider. So she said to me, like, while you're looking, um, I'm doing this consultancy work for this company called Kiwi Digital. It's going to get a bit of an education spin, some digital. There's a little bit of a, a cultural uh, play in there that might be interesting for you. And, you know, while you're figuring out life, just come and have a look at that. Well, I did. I <laughs> came along, had a look at the, the sales aspects of what they were doing. And then suddenly I was an owner. Right, absolutely <laughs> loved it. And and so, what what was the um what was the idea behind it? The Kopapa, what was the mission of Kiwa that attracted you? Um, it came back to the the founder Rhonda Kite, who was from the Taitukaro region, uh, a wahinepreneur, I think, is the new cool <laughs> term for it. Um, way before the time, and uh, Rhonda had been in the the media sector, particularly in in dubbing. Understood dubbing, sort of taking content from one language to another and was involved in some of the first um, content in the country to be dubbed into te reo Māori. And uh, through that process, she then also created the first type of dubbing software, which we call VoiceQ, and started to license that around the world. And VoiceQ basically allows you to take um, audio and video content and synchronise that up with a script of a language, then move it into a second language, and produce from a queuing perspective what I call karaoke for voice actors. And I'm probably bastardizing something that's, you know, like the holy grail of, of media technology. But what you get is you get away from having paper scripts and listening to what they call the three beeps that gives you the cue of when to say your line. Put that all down. You're looking at the screen, which is the original video content, and your lines are rolling across a little bit similar to um, karaoke, uh, but in a much more detailed fashion that gives you the nuances of the volume, the pitch, um, the accent, the the excitement, etc., in the language, and so you get perfect sync dubbing. Wow! So, so you can really match the kind of emotional range and the performance and the the feel of a scene. Yeah, I mean, and some of the dubbing that's done really well. Part of this also comes back to the talent of the actor and, and some of the direction they're getting. People will say when they look at it that it was actually filmed in that language. It's so good. Um, the Germans are very good at this. There's, there's various series that have come out of the USA that people believe they were filmed in Germany. They weren't. Wow. And that's and that's using this uh, technology, voice crew technology, all around the world yeah. for, for ADR. Yeah, it comes from, uh, actually the French should take credit here, it comes from what's called the Digital Rhythmo Band. For, so way back in the day, um, when you had the old 35mm film, they would actually write on the film, you know, like hieroglyphics types, um, like you know, shorthand, longhand type yeah. stuff. And they would use that to uh, visually cue the actors of what to say. And so what we've done is taken that traditional method of, of, of rhythmo band and digitised it and put it into, again, my words, a, a karaoke style that, um, you know, someone who's relatively new to voice acting can come in, have a look at this, run them through a couple of times, and suddenly, you know, they're delivering some pretty good lines um, appropriately. And that software its ability uh, to do that not just into kind of one language 
but any language that you're working with, was that always kind of a, a plan to be a truly kind of global play? Um, I'll say it was now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably at the time, I think we were, we were most concerned about getting the te reo Māori correct because mm. um, there was such a, a lack of it in the country. And, and quality of language is always important no matter which language you're dubbing into. You, you want to really get it right. Um, you know, Jokingly, if you sort of look back at some of the great Bruce Lee movies and we look at the dubbing that was done that you'd almost laugh at. It's almost comical. Um, the, the world wants authenticity now. They want it to be, you know, lip sync perfect and, and honour the the authors of the content, but also honour the the people of the the country and the language that they represent. So there's a lot of work going on in that area, you know, from the likes of Netflix and Amazon who are driving huge amounts of content around the world these days to make sure that if we are going to shift from one language to the second, third, fourth, and so on, that it's done with integrity and precision. And so Voice Q, fortunately, we've we're in that space, uh, we're enjoying that, that journey, um, is able to deliver that using algorithms. And with that kind of uh, technology and the growth, you, you know, there's, there's so much amazing content um, in English that, you know, the markets of South America or China um, will, will be interested in doing. But also, you, you know, people wanting to experience everything in their own language. It must be a huge growth area for your company at the moment. Yeah, it is very exciting. I mean, we're on the periphery of a an ever-increasing industry. Um, again, Netflix, Amazon, these these companies have changed the whole media broadcasting field by being able to, one, source content, but secondly, produce content. You know, the budgets that Netflix are putting into the original series is mind-blowing. You know, it's got so many zeros on the end of it, it's hard to believe that you can actually be producing something that has that sort of budget. Um, but along with that, there's the volume aspect because the, the world is more connected. You know, you can watch Netflix on a smart device and smart devices are tripling in numbers since 2015 to 2020. Tripling. You know, you're into the billions of, of smart devices and apps similarly. So with that greater accessibility with the internet of things, more people be able to act access content from many more languages then the, the catch is yes you can get to this massive market that's growing exponentially but you've got to make sure it's in the language and also when we talk about localization is the term that's used it's not just converting the language if you like from a, a pure translation but it's actually a slight trans adaptation mm. and there's two parts there one is um the cultural nuances, and, and let's use humour as an example. There'll be a certain joke that we deliver in English. When that is translated literally into a, a second or third language, it just doesn't land. Mm. And so you've got to trans-adapt that. The second part is actually within the time codes of the original audio. So line one starts at zero and it finishes, it finishes at t equals ten. When you translate, you have to make sure that the words fit in that time code period. So you're either going to, it's either going to be trans-adapted, so the words are about the same number of words, or typically if it's translated from English, it's a little bit longer. So for example, in French, typically the translation number of words is longer. So you're either going to have to make the, the French speaker speak faster, which could kind of ruin the context of the scene or the line, or it's trans-adapted. So it's not exactly a translation, but it's got the, the essence of what was created in the first language. So there's a little bit of complexity in there. A lot of that we're dealing with using the technology to do the thinking, if you like, to um, 
deconstruct the complexity and make it easier. However, having said all that, there's still a human aspect in there. Mm. Um, that creative, artistic transadaptation um, is still a big part of the industry. And you hear all those stories of people who learnt English from the Philippines by watching American TV and stuff. And like, you know, the importance of having someone's language in the media they consume, even if there isn't a big enough industry to make lots of media, is so important for kind of protecting and fostering and um, and keeping a, a, a relationship um, with, with the language. What what was the leap that took that kind of concept of um, making sure that Tereo was in dominant media around and moving that to the, the book realm? Yeah, that was a really interesting part. Um, again, Rhonda, credit, credit to her as the founder, she saw the opportunity because when the iPad arrived, suddenly there was this idea of, okay, if we've done video to, to sound synchronization for the dubbing, mm-hmm. how about text to sound? So let's take a book, beautiful hard copy book. We've got the audio that can go with it. Let's synchronize the audio with every single word. And then take it to a literacy level. So the technology that we've got uh, proprietary interests around is that if you run your fingers across the text, it speaks to you word for word, perfectly synchronized. If you touch a word, it says the word. If you double tap the word, it phonetically spells it for you. So now we've gone, yes, an audio book, but there's leveled learning in there as well. So if we look at... um, you know, three to five-year-olds in that, that formative stage when they're going through how to, how to learn to read mm-hmm. in any language, they're very kinesthetic. So you, you'll notice with a child, you know, three to five, and I've got a 10-year-old now, and I remember those days well, mm-hmm. they run their fingers straight away on the text, almost without any guidance from the parent. They just know to touch. Suddenly the touch creates sound. They figure out very quick, if I run, if I swipe my finger, I, I hear a whole lot of noise. If I touch something, I hear one sound. If I double tap it, I get some other sound, and um, the you can really accelerate a child's uh, reading levels um, using this type of technology, which actually comes from um, what's called shared reading, where, mm. the, where the parent would sit with the child or the caregiver, they have their finger on the text, and they run their finger along the text, yeah. saying it with the child. Yeah, and if there's a hard, I was just thinking that sounds exactly you like how right? you, you read to your kids. When yeah. there's a hard word, you go back and you break it into parts That's and right. you, you sit on it for a minute and then you get there and you keep moving. Yeah. yeah. So what we've done is created an algorithm that, um, I don't want to say the word replace, but I've got to be a little bit careful. Augment assist. Augmented assist the reader mm. to do that. Um, and with that, you've got the literacy aspect, as, as explained, but you've also got all the, so the imagery. You've got music. So in these books now, um, you can have background sounds that are running like a little song in the background, or if you touch the tree, there's the sound of the leaves in the tree yeah, or the wow. stream. And so suddenly you've, got, you've gone beyond pure reading a hard copy book, which is a great thing to do, and, and it should be encouraged. Mm. But there's other stuff going on. Yeah, that, that's really cool. Um, I downloaded and had a play with Narumu, and like that's you, you know obviously it's a um it's a story about uh, uh war. So there's a lot of kind of you know obvious bells and whistles and noise and yelling and explosions and planes and but yeah, it was a really cool immersive experience. But I can also imagine how cool that would be in a kids' book where you know a three year old eyes lights up when um the the stream trickles. Oh yeah, uh, I mean we, our. Our legacy, if you like, has been with um, Tamariki Rangatahi, the children's youth area of literacy, and that's 
continued to expand out into adult learning. Um, but what's been interesting is around the language aspect. So with the, the Naramu book, for example, um, at the time there was quite a lot of um, celebration, if you like, remembrance around military over the last few years here in Aotearoa, which is great. And um, through a friend of a friend, actually, um, from Ngāti Porau, which is where uh, Naramu came from, we wanted to kind of honour that original whānau, but also the book had already been written. It was done in a beautiful um, PDF style, in design style, with um, you know action of, of the war at the time, but it didn't have any audio. So we wanted to bring the audio to the experience using a local Ngāti Pro dialect. So a good friend of mine, Barry Suter, and his extended whānau actually are the voices oh, that's so cool. on that. So they're from that area. They have connections with the original whānau there, and it was really cool to be able to use them to keep the authenticity of um, the, the experience of the whānau, everybody, and then bring it to life in a, in a digital format so that uh, youngsters today and also extended whānau could enjoy it. Um, and so that, that was uh, kind of our first foray into taking the culture, taking the technology, um, trying to use people that weren't, if you like, necessarily professionals, but bring them up to speed quickly using the technology we had. And it all came together. Yeah, that, that's fascinating because um, there's that really interesting kind of idea that one of the things that drove kind of the first renaissance in um, Te Reo was the fact that there were suddenly in the 70s and 80s places to have professional careers with the language, whether that was um, in universities or teaching or um, media or you know places that just hadn't existed as careers for using Te Reo. And I wonder if like um, the explosion of apps and digital creativity and things like this where you can be a voice artist without being a professional voice artist and use the language are the things that keep things vital. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's a great thing about tech. It can embellish and amplify something that it seems quite simplistic and raw in the format. And, you know, we've seen a huge rise in the number of um, rangatahi, particularly coming through schools now, mm. that are interested in technology, um, which kind of gets me onto another pet topic of mine, and, and I'll keep it brief. But I think one of the big uh, projects, the mahi for us to do, is adult New Zealand. Yes, is start rethinking how we describe technology. And um, I did some research recently for Tamaki Makoto, Auckland City, looking at, at Māori and technology and, and what they call the sectors of competitive advantage. That's quite a long sentence, isn't it? But um, what we actually found was the big, the big piece that came out of the research was that if you ask 10 people, what does technology, um, digital, ICT mean for you, you'll get 10 different answers. So you've actually got some confusion around what is the technology sector. And even that creates a problem because really technology is across just about every sector known to mankind right now. And so what, what inevitably happens by default is you end up in a developer conversation. So we're talking about software developers who are incredibly skilled people and you know, creating the algorithms which drive any software is, is core. However... There are so many technology-related or enabled jobs mm. that revolve around the developer group. And I think, um, particularly for Māori, who, who are sort of trying to get into that sector, is we need to um, broaden the, the kōrero 
around what we mean by technology. So we work with a lot of schools, youngsters, and we see them come in. And you know, often these are coming from, from challenged backgrounds. At the core of what we do with the books is there's um, scripts, the text, right, or copywriting when we get into the professional side of things. Um, there's drawing, which becomes animation. There's being able to speak on a microphone, which becomes voice acting. Um, there's design and production and deployment of the apps. And so these are, these are all jobs. And then there's the sales aspect, and then there's the owner of the company. But I think what, what would be helpful f- to particularly inspire our youth is to explain that um, technology is enabling a lot of different jobs from the developer right across the sectors, and it's really broad. And so becoming technology literate um, is really important. And some of the most basic things you're doing, when, you, when you're writing, that can become copywriting, mm-hmm. you know, for advertisements and so forth way up the scale. These are very high-paid jobs. And so I think there's some work to do there where, um, for me, it's just like a comms revamp. Mm-hmm. And it, start, it should start at government level and work its way down, making sure that Fano and the school understand when we talk about tech, when we talk about digital, here's what we're talking about here, which is broader, it's more exciting, it's more inclusive, it, it considers your cultural background, it considers your uh, language background, but you can all be part of the system. And, and for every person who is a strict coder, you're going to need a bunch of people to be st- communicators and, and, and storytellers and um, yeah. run the project. So, yeah, like there is that huge, you know, a huge ecosystem, as you say, around it. And for those that are, that are, that are a bit um, developer-phobic, you know, I mean, I wasn't a maths guy, right? So when I, when I came from the fitness industry and came to Kiwi, I suddenly was surrounded by a lot of very, very intelligent, smart people in the kind of developer space. I was like, wow, you know, I, how do I fit in here? It, it seemed kind of weird. But then you realise that, um, the delivery of the experience takes a team, mm. you know, takes a, a village to, to grow a child. Well, I'll tell you what, it takes a team of people in a digital company to deliver a, a real, relevant, authentic, sustainable experience to the customers. So you can have all of you in the same company. And here's the cool thing about tech. You don't even have to be in the same building. Right now at Kiwa, we have people working out in West Auckland, uh, Central City, Victoria Park Market, Christchurch around the world on the same project within the same five days. We work on a five-day sprint process, and that's cool. So we're on Zoom calls just about every other day. Last night we were trying to speak to someone in, in Madrid at 9.30. For those of you that like that, nine to five hours, uh, here's the other thing about digital, it's 24-7. Um, but there's something liberating about being able to work from wherever you want to work from and be able to connect with so many different people and cultures and languages. Um, it's, I would have never thought you'd be able, to, be able to do that. Another cool thing in that um, cultural connection space is, you know, we've talked a bit about um, for kids or for people who maybe are already along a journey of, um, you, you know, maybe wanting to be able to watch television in their own language or, or a language that they're learning. But people who, um, you, you know, maybe are taking their first steps into the world, the um, Tao Māori, uh, the way that you've been partnering with big corporates and big government organisations um, to help use technology to bring workforces into the world. Yeah, one of the exciting developments has been um, what we use the term cultural intelligence, kind of a, a bit of a flash word that, that sits under another common talking point called diversity. 
So lots of different folks within the workforce from cultural backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, gender backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera. And um, because we are in the language space as a company, um, we, we partner with Air New Zealand to help them develop a tool called Tikiti Tikanga Māori, or their, 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 uh, their language kit, if you like, the Tikanga Kit Protocol. And we built an app for them that helps their staff understand uh, Tikanga Māori, Māori Protocol, and Te Reo Māori, uh, te reo Māori um, Māori words and phrases that was appropriate for the Air New Zealand staff experience. So anybody that's flown with Air New Zealand recently, I'm sure you would have heard quite a few more kilders. No mai hata mai ki tamaki makoto. Welcome to Auckland. Uh, Ma te wa. You know, we'll see you later. And um, when you've got you know a large staff that's not only national but also international, being able to get people trained up so you've got some sort of consistency and, and you need scalability. And so the app was a perfect tool to complement their mm. face-to-face kanohi ki te kanohi training, which you in New Zealand do. And um, it gave people a chance to learn in a safe environment. And one of the one of the things we've found um, through the keyword experience is that everyone gets excited when you talk about languages, but one of the things that people don't get excited about is being embarrassed. Mm. People don't like to make mistakes uh, when they are learning a second language, and the, and the people that actually don't like it the most are adults, particularly if they're successful people. You know, they've they've managed to get through life successfully, and then suddenly you say, okay, so say. Um, Welcome to Auckland in, in Māori to me. And, whoa, the filters go up, the block, the hesitation, the anxiety, the I'm not part of this. And a lot of it's fear. Mm-hmm. So we'll say in Māori, say, fuck a ma. Or it's a, it's, a, it's a form of, oh, I feel embarrassed by this because I might get it wrong, I might not get the pronunciation. So one of the cool things about the app tool is that, again, going back to what we said at the start, if I run my finger across the text, not only am I able to read the text, but I can hear it phonetically. I can hear it rhythmically so that when I start to try and um, duplicate that, I can do it. Also on the app, we have record yourself. So you, you see the, the phrase, you know, kia ora. So I record myself. I can hear kia ora. And I can compare that to the master narration. And fairly quickly, you know, you record yourself two or three times and you've gone from zero on your way to hero. <laughs> I won't say hero, but on your way to hero. Just to and, and that that's so cool <laughs> in a in a really big organisation. So I mean, you've got twelve thousand people there, and that's um, interacting, especially you know. And, and you say things like, um, you know, you might have seen Matewa a little bit more often, um, but you know, like that's actually having interactions with millions of people um, mm. every week. And so uh, that that phrase that probably wasn't in wide usage um, a couple of years ago is now probably going to be in wide country usage. So it's really oh, impactful. Totally. And it's it's a, also a point of difference, you know, for the slight commercial uh, spin on this is um, for New Zealand, it's like, you know, how do we create a point of difference against all the other great airlines in the world? Well, part of it can be in, in our service delivery, which is still quite clinical. So what do you mean by that? This is how we greet you. Kia ora. No mai haramai. Ki tamaki makoto. You know right now, you're in Aotearoa. So the beauty of this is being able to take language, um, use the technology to enable that, to help you to learn it and perfect it and to share it. And then what I think has been cool is to be able to take that and bring that into a, a workplace situation, whether that's public sector or private sector, so that, one, it becomes just how we roll or 
normalised. Um, and two, it creates a, a point of difference. And then I think three, and, and this is possibly even more important, with aspects of Māori culture, and this will apply to other cultures as, as those roll out, is just the warmth and the richness. Mm. You know, if you've been offshore for any period of time and you roll up to that New Zealand plane and you hear Kilda, tell me you don't feel something. Yes, you heard something. You feel a warmth, uh, a knowing, a belonging, an identity thing, somewhere in that DNA strand of yours starts to go. You feel it. Um, in the same way with using it even at home, you know, we, we say in Māori, you, you start to feel manaakitanga. And hospitality is a, is a translation of that word, but I think it doesn't do it justice. It's a feeling of warmth. It's not just about service, which can be quite transactional. Mm. And so bringing, you know, rich, using language to bring in richness, to create uh, better authentic engagement is powerful. You know, I mean, Donald Trump should take a lesson on this. <laughs> and, and building bridges to adults who maybe their kids are growing up with a much greater awareness of te reo and hey. a much greater awareness of tikanga Māori and uh, maybe the adult schooling just didn't even, just didn't even. I'm experiencing this <laughs> every day. Yeah, i got, yeah, I got yeah. a 10-year-old, Grace Renata. My daughter is coming home from Huapai school and is schooling me. Mm on how, how we roll with tikanga Māori and te reo Māori. And it's, um, it's incredibly confronting because I didn't grow up in a, in a te reo Māori environment. I grew up um, down in a little town called Milton many, many years ago. I didn't even know I was Māori until I was seven. I just thought I had a better tan than the rest of the mates. And so the country's moved on. You know, nine, 2018, we're a very different country than we were 50 years ago. Um, but what's cool is, is these young people, these young tamariki, rangatahi, are coming out of school now of all different ethnicities um, and backgrounds, and they've they've got that little strand of Chao Māori, but it's not the Māori thing. This is who we are, mm. and, and we, we also see that with Pacifica and, and, and our Asian cultures coming through. So, you know, we're really fortunate here in this country, and particularly in this city, having this ethnic diversity that um, you get to be citizens of Aotearoa and proud of that. And then you get to pick up on little strands, usually starting with your indigenous culture first and then rolling into whatever's appropriate and relevant in your life. But that makes it magical. So you can kind of be yourself, but be part of the bigger collective. A couple of questions we ask everyone on the um, the podcast just to um, to finish up today. What advice do you give um, after you know a, a career of international success and being part of companies, you know, really taking New Zealand ideas to the world? You must be asked by a lot of you know, entrepreneurs starting out. Um, what, what advice do you give to entrepreneurs who are interested in, in making that kind of impact? Whoa. Yeah, you do, do get that question a few times. Um, the, the thing that I hear people say a lot, and I do believe, is that you need to find your passion um, to, to go on. I think people have lots of passions. Um, business can be actually really hard. You know, today we've talked about some pretty exciting, fun stuff. But let me tell you, there's a lot of long, unforgotten hours where you are grinding away. Mm. And even at Les Mills, as exciting as that was, there were some pretty hard days, hard weeks and hard years where we were thinking, holy hucker, is this, is this going to work? Is it, you know, is it this hard? Have you just flown 36 hours around the world somewhere to deliver something? Um, and even at Kiwa, you know, there's been times it's been tough. So... My spin on the passion part would be make sure that you get something that you're passionate about 
that will get you through the hard times. Because there's with every up, there's a down. And um, when you're up, you know, anything's going to work. It's when the hard times kick in, that's when you do the big questioning of like, why am I doing this? Or why are we doing this? Why should I keep doing this? So that would be what I'd just put around passion is passion in the hard days. If you can get clear on that, then I think um, you've got some of the some of the uh, ingredients for long term success. And how do you define success? What does success look like for you? Uh, well, first and foremost is uh, my my daughter's view on me as a dad. She's probably the the first uh, barometer sample of one I call it, um, and how she feels I'm performing as a as a father and a caregiver is my first measure of success. Um, a, a person who is you know did some coaching for me over three years once said to me, Steve, it's not what you do, it's how you make people feel. That is one of the great measures of success of a person, and, and I agree with that. And so while um, economic wealth uh, could be one measure of success, you know, have you got the Tesla? Have you got the car? Have you got you know, the T-shirt and all of that? For sure, there's some aspects of that. But I really think that, you know, as you get older, you look back and go, how many people truly have you made feel better? When they left you, did they feel better in their life as a, as a result of that experience? And I know that probably sounds a wee bit soft and, and airy-fairy, but, you know, money, money will only get you so far. So, yeah, how you make people feel, how you influence um, them to have a more positive life, I think it's a big measure of success. Um, and then also, you know, make sure you've got a Grace Renata to give you that, that daily grading. <laughs> well, thank you so much uh, for coming in and uh, sharing your story with us today. That's Stephen Renata, the CEO at Kiwa Digital. Thank you so much. Kia ora. Thank you very much to Tina and Alice for producing, and thank you very much for having us. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited, and of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.